Appalachia. Nobody truly knows where the word came from, but it seems that most folks have their own idea of what it is. Everything from run-down mobile homes full of meth heads to beautiful mountaintop views. The Appalachian Mountains are the oldest mountains in the world and once stood over 30,000 feet into the air. They span the eastern North America from Canada through 14 states all the way to Louisiana. Hello, I'm Larry Bentley. I was born and raised in these very mountains. I, for one, know that they're a source of unending tales and adventure. I also know that the views of an Appalachian as to what happens outside these mountains is a bit different than one might think. Join me as uh, we take a journey through these old Appalachian mountains and beyond. I think you'll be surprised at how it goes. Welcome to Season 3 of Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. Hope you're doing well today. Thank you so much for stopping by. John Dellinger, Machine Gun Kelly, Babyface Nelson, you know, most people have heard of them. All of them at one time or another were considered major criminals who killed if they had to. And heck, some of them did it if they didn't have to out of pure meanness. Even if they wasn't killing, they were still knee-deep into something that just wasn't up to no good. But there are other criminals that caused the police just about as much headache as any of them did. Maybe some of them, well, maybe they were just so good that they rarely made the news, and that was probably the way they liked it. Or maybe like in this case, they were literally a one-man continuous crime spree that consisted of such petty crimes that it hardly ever made the news. Now today we're going to look at a feller that most folks probably never heard of. Where I come from, he's a kind of a tragic folk legend. So sit on down there and make yourself to home and let me tell you about this Appalachian Rounder. Now, the man I'm talking about today was named Otto Harrison Wood. There's nothing fancy about his name. None of his crimes ran the headlines for weeks on end. He didn't rob banks, trains, or anything else, and he didn't run around the country killing everybody he come across for sport. Actually, he was pretty un- uninteresting to most folks back in his day, and, and it, well, at least to start with, anyway. He was more interested in things like car thieving, bootlegging, and other fairly small crimes. What made him famous and wanted by the police so bad was his ability to escape from jails, prison, and even right out of their own hands. I suppose I should probably back up and tell you how he managed to get where he was to start with. Otto was born in 1894 in Wilkes County, North Carolina. When he was four years old, his dad died, leaving his mother in charge of little Otto and his four brothers. Three of them were older than him, and one was younger. The youngest was two years younger than Otto. The oldest brother was only ten years old when his daddy died, and none of the boys could were old enough to even help their mother by getting a job and making any money. Ever since he was a little feller, he loved to go out in the mountains all alone and poke around old hollow trees and catch crawdads and fish in the creeks and maybe uh, see what's on top of that next big mountain over there. Now, I don't blame him there. I enjoyed that myself, and heck, I still do. Come seven years old, he was sent off to school. But school didn't just 
didn't, just didn't jibe with his idea of fun, so he finally stopped going. It made him feel trapped when he was stuck inside, and all the other kids ribbed him over his old hand-me-down clothes. So he managed to make it six months before he'd had enough and ran away from school and home. He managed to hop a train in Wilkesboro, North Wilkesboro, that is, at barely seven years old. He managed to talk the conductor into believing that he was traveling as part of another family who was on the train. When the train arrived in Winston-Salem, he got off. He spent some time walking around the town, which to him, being seven years old and from the Appalachian Mountains, was pretty impressive. Now, when night started to fall, he walked up on a tobacco warehouse. Once again, he turned on the auto wood charm and talked to Farmer, who was delivering goods to the warehouse into giving him something to eat. The farmer even allowed the little feller to sleep in his wagon all night long, and the next day the farmer took him home with him to his farm near Madison. Now, Otto stayed there for a few days, but his traveling bones started giving him a little bit of trouble, and he jumped another train. This one was headed for Roanoke, Virginia. Once he hit Roanoke, I reckon he didn't like that either, because he didn't stay. He hopped another train that was headed to Hagerstown, Maryland. Unfortunately for Otto, he was caught by the conductor this time. So when the train stopped somewhere between Roanoke and Hagerstown, he threw Otto off and he landed right in police custody. Being that he was just seven years old and not a hardened criminal, they gave him a, uh, a new set of clothes and a ticket home. And of course that came with a police escort. When he got back to his family, his mother told the railway companies in the area that the boy just wouldn't stay put. She asked him to keep an eye out and make sure that little Otto wouldn't hop any more trains. So when he slipped off again, tried to sneak on a train in North Wilkesboro not long after, he was caught by the conductor before the train ever left the depot and dragged back to his mom again. Of course, he didn't stay put again. So when he made his next run, he sneaked onto a freight car instead of a passenger car where there was a whole lot less chance of getting caught. Once he made it to Winston-Salem, he did the same thing and moved right along. This time, he managed to get all the way to Bluefield, West Virginia, before they caught him. Again, the little hard head was handed over to the police in Bluefield. But when Otto told him his name, the police chief knew that Otto's uncle lived in Vulcan, so he sent the boy to his uncle. Now, that might not have been the best thing to happen to a kid that was continuously looking for something to get into. Now, this uncle ran a saloon in the town, which was, and still yet is, located in Mingo County, which sits on the border of Pike, Pike County, Kentucky. And by the time Otto arrived, the area was still the scene of the last remnants of the infamous Hatfield-McCoy feud. Now, we'll get around to talking about that and what I've heard about that from my forefathers and, you know, somewhere down the road. Now, when the uncle sent a message to Otto's poor old worn-out mom... Otto was allowed to stay with his uncle. Now, I hear you. What would the Hatfield-McCoy feud have to do with the seven-year-old kid? Remember, Otto's uncle ran a saloon, and in addition to being a pretty well-off and a stand-up businessman, the Hatfield family ran a pretty good business of moonshining and bootlegging, which was part of the reason that the feud with the McCoys went on for so long. Of course, one of the regular Hatfield moonshine stops was the saloon owned by none other than Otto's uncle. Moonshine was a fairly valuable commodity back then, being that it was 20 years before Prohibition came to 
be, and so by skirting the tax man, which was fairly easy to do in the mountains, there was a pretty good profit to be made. Nothing do Otto but become good friends with one of the sons of the Hatfield family and moved in with them. That would give him about enough excitement to last him a good bit because the Hatfields let him get right in the middle of the whole mess. He learned how to play poker like a professional, which some members of the Hatfield family also excelled in. During his stay in the hills of West Virginia, he also learned to fight when he got in trouble. That's always a plus, I guess, ain't it? When he turned 11, he wanted to see his mother again, and he went back to Wilkesboro and his family four years after he'd left. Now, Little Otto was already involved in crime in the form of moonshine, the moonshine business, even though his part was pretty small. This is where I pictured a kid on the old brother where art thou driving that old car with the blocks tied to the foot pedals as I thought about Otto driving around delivering moonshine to folks. Now, other than what we talked about so far, there's no record of Otto ever having any run-in with the law at that point in his life. In 1905, he got home to visit his mom and them in Wilkes, Wilkes County, North Carolina, but a few months later, just after turning the ripe old age of 12, here come that old traveling Jones again. He wanted to go back to West Virginia where the fun was, but he didn't have money for a train ticket, and all he needed was to get caught jumping trains again. At that point, he decided to kick off his own criminal enterprise. Now, he knew that the little feller that lived next door owned a bicycle. Otto thought that he would just steal it and ride it back to West Virginia. That, my good friends, means that he had a whole lot more gumption than I got. But Otto wasn't known for his intricate planning when it came to things like that, so he picked a day to leave, walked over, stole the bike, and didn't get very far because he didn't think it through very well and didn't realize that he didn't know how to ride a bike. He must have figured that he was in for a penny and in for a pound because he didn't stop and give the bike up and just leave. He decided to go ahead and push it. <laughs> I hope not all the way to West Virginia, but he made a run for it with the neighbors behind him yelling bike thief. He made it about a quarter of a mile or so before being apprehended by the county sheriff himself who heard all the yelling. The sheriff dragged him off to the local prison and chunked him in with all the other full-grown prisoners. Now that should have been enough to make him stop and all the shenanigans and straighten up, but he spent five months before going to trial for bike thieving. That was actually pretty normal back then because court only happened twice a year and it was spring and fall. Those were the days when the judges rode around different towns where they'd hold court and move on to the next town. Now, like I said, you'd think he'd learn from that, but nope. Otto and a friend who was also a prisoner planned to rob a local hardware store before he'd even went to trial. They thought that by doing that, they'd get themselves a pass of weapons and could start their own gang. When Otto finally went to trial, the judge sentenced him to six months of forced labor in a chain gang in Iredale County. He was just 12 years old. And he was actually so little that the foreman just sent him home to his mother. And again, I, I'm not sure she looked forward to that. But when he got home, apparently the little hardhead hadn't learned anything and went through with robbing the hardware store, even though his partner in crime was still into pokey. 
he actually managed to get away with all the firearms he could carry, as a matter of fact. This time, he made it uh, just a little further than a quarter of a mile before he was caught again and sent straight back to prison. And again, he had to wait months before his trial. This judge turned out to be a pretty kind-hearted man. He wanted to try to help Otto rather than punish him, so he sent Otto into the care of his oldest brother and told him to make sure that Otto didn't get into any more trouble. The brother flat told the judge up front that he didn't think that was possible, but Otto was sent on his way despite his brother's protest. Now, being that the brother didn't want to do, do it in the first place, and instead of helping Otto, he did everything he could to make his life miserable, while telling everybody that listened that he just couldn't handle Otto and get him to behave. Otto actually truly believed that after being convicted of a crime, he wouldn't be welcome anywhere he went, so he took off again. He literally spent the next few years wandering the countryside. Every now and again, he'd swing by the Hatfield family in Vulcan and stay with them for a spell, but when he was 15 years old, he finally decided that well, it's about time for him to settle down and maybe get a job. So he got him a job as a trapper in a coal mine. Now, what a trapper does is open hatches and doors in the tunnels for the mine in the mines for the corpse to go through. A corpse is what the coal is either toted or pushed around in to get it in and out of the, or out of the mine. He managed to keep that job until he was 17. Then he took a job as a stoker in North and Western Railroad. We all know the stoker by the other name, fireman. While working there, he somehow lost one of his hands. Now, it depends on who you ask is how it happened. It either was an accident on the train or most people think it was a hunting accident. Whatever the reason was, the railroad couldn't use a one-handed fireman and he lost his job. So without a job and only one hand left, Otto still known to be a ladies man though he decided to marry a girl from point pleasant west virginia yeah that's mothman territory for all you out there that ended up being a mistake because it led to his next prison stint when word got out that otto had married a girl that he dated earlier uh, she well when he got married a girl he knew earlier or had dated earlier accused him of breaking his vow to marry her and being the father of her child now back in those days that was considered what they called a breach of promise and it wasn't taken lightly so otto was pounced on and arrested put on trial and sentenced to two years and two months in west virginia state prison from there otto finally found something that he was really good at and made his first prison break he later called it the biggest mistake of his life despite everybody and his brother chasing after him for days on end Otto managed to make it across the Appalachian Mountains and all the way to Texas, where he traveled around to other states to include Arizona and New Mexico for about two years. While he was there, he started to dress like the local folks and always wore his two big 44-6 gun in his gun belt. Now, why he needed two when he only had one hand, I really couldn't tell you, but I know he thought it looked good. Unfortunately for him... He liked to tie one on, too, and sure enough, as we all know, guns plus alcohol equals nothing good. He ended up in the middle of a few shootouts, but somehow managed to always make it out without so much as a scratch on him. And to beat it all, unbelievably, none of them led to run-ins with the law. Now, two years later, he decided to head back east again, but in Portsmouth, Ohio, 
somebody recognized him. They called the law, and again, he was arrested and sent back to West Virginia State Prison, where a judge added an extra year to his sentence for his trouble. Now, this time, he made it three months before he managed to pull off another escape. This time, he made it his way all the way to Chattanooga, Tennessee. There, he got into trouble over a card game in a pool hall. As we said earlier, he was an excellent pool player, in spite of how young he was. He'd managed to win every dime off of other players, and some of them figured that he had to be cheating, so they pulled their weapons and told Otto that he was going to, they were going to, he was going to give them their money back. And that didn't go too good for him. When the shooting was over, Otto was the only one left standing. The others had either run off or were flopping around on the floor with holes in them. Even though he was left standing, he was still pretty badly wounded. When he had recovered in the local hospital, he was charged and put on trial. But believe it or not, he was acquitted. He claimed that the shooting had been in self-defense, and it was all confirmed by everybody that saw it. Of course, the only reason he wasn't dragged back to West Virginia as an escapee was the fact that he used a fake name and nobody knew any better. He was then promptly released to go about his business. Probably didn't hurt none that uh, one of those shot, none of those who were shot died, and he was more injured than any of the rest of them were. He was just too stubborn to fall down. After the trial, he left Tennessee and went back to West Virginia. He settled so, I guess, so to speak, in, in the town of Welch. He bought a car, took up bootlegging moonshine, and he married a 15-year-old girl who lived in the town. There's no record of divorce from his first wife, so I guess we can add bigamy to his list, too. Just a few days after the wedding, he got into trouble due to the bootlegging, and he run back to North Carolina with his new wife. Unfortunately, he'd only made the first payment on his car and was in such a hurry that he didn't bother paying the rest of it off, so the seller called the police and reported it as stolen. They then forwarded a message to the sheriff in Wilkes County. So when Mr. and Mrs. Wood reached their mother, his mother's house in North Wilkesboro, the police were all ready to arrest him. That's when the scoundrel managed to jump out of the car and run into the woods, but he had to leave the car to do it. So on foot, but he still managed to escape and got all the way to Winston-Salem, where he stole another car because he still hadn't learned anything. He used that car to drive all the way back to his mother's house and pick up his wife. But, as it turned out, he'd done all that way too fast and the police were still there looking for him. So, what does he do but jump out of the car, head for the hills again, and manage to get away? Yeah, he got away again. While the police ran after him and hunted for him in the woods, he doubled back on them and took the car and his wife and tore off all the way to North Wilkesboro, where he stole another car. In that car, he and his wife drove to Charlotte before continuing on South Carolina, Georgia, all the way to Florida. By that time, the tires on the car started wearing out. Yeah, folks, they didn't make them like they did today. They were only good for a few hundred miles, and that was it. That's when he stopped and stole the wheels, tires, and all off another car one at a time. He replaced the tires as he stole them with his old worn-out tires and managed to get all four of them switched onto his car while the owner was sleeping inside his car. Now, folks, you might say he did all that single-handed, literally. After living on the lamb in Florida, 
the two finally started getting low on money and, of course, headed north again. When they got to Kentucky, wouldn't you know it, somebody recognized Otto and he was again pounced on and dragged to Chattanooga on a charge of unlawful intrusion and car theft. This time he was sentenced to three years in prison. This time it took him a long agonizing six months to escape again and he went back to North Carolina. Unfortunately for him, the news of his latest escapade and breakout beat him back. It only took him two weeks to find him and drag him back to Tennessee again. Of course, it wasn't long before he escaped again. This time he hid in an empty box that had been full of canned food, which was going to be hauled back out of the prison along with other trash. This time he was seen right when he crawled out of the box and the police chased after him with dogs. This time he ran into a stable and stole a horse and rode the horse off barebacked. Police gave up when they found out that he was on a horse because, you well, know, being on foot, it wouldn't be a bit of good be done with that. But again, things took a nosedive for Otto because when he got to town about 60 miles from Nashville, he was recognized again and this time surrounded by a group of people that demanded his immediate surrender. And he didn't like that idea, so a fist fight broke out and poor Otto got his ass whooped pretty good but not near as bad as he acted like. Nonetheless, he was caught again and dragged back to stay in trial in West Virginia this time. When the train that was taking him back to West Virginia, where he stole a car and didn't, you know, the one he didn't pay for after he'd run off, and this time he shoved the guard down because the guard thought that Otto was a little more wounded than he actually was, and he hightailed it again when the, before the guard could get up. Now, he ran around the back of the train and where he found some clothes and the conduct, uh, that the conductor had left laying and put them on. He left the train and became a member of the posse that was outside hunting him. He managed to slip off and hop a freight train to Kentucky and rode it all the way to Hopkinsville before he was caught by the law again. Or so they thought. The police drew their guns and told him to raise his hands and he ran for it before they could even think to shoot him, and he managed to get away again. This time, he ran back to Welch, where his wife was waiting on him. When he got there, he was immediately pounced directly on and arrested again. It seems that there was still a warrant out for him for the theft of the car and that he bought and didn't pay for. And apparently, Otto didn't understand that when you run, it don't cancel a warrant. This time, he was sentenced to five years in West Virginia State Prison. The verdict was so harsh, not because of the car theft mainly, but because of the word of all the other hijinks he'd been into had got back to the judge. With the six years he already owed, his tab was now up to 11 years in prison. Of course, the way he saw it, he didn't have a choice but to escape as soon as humanly possible. The only way to escape this time was by climbing directly over the wall where the guards with armed rifles stood day and night, but along with a fellow prisoner, Otto actually managed to get over the wall without anybody seeing him because they used the ladder that they'd found laying in the prison yard. Now, folks, you ain't heard nothing yet. Stick around. I'll be right back. You're listening to Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend with Larry Bentley. Now, by that time... It was January of 1919, and Otto was 25 years old, and that was number five on his escape from prison tally. 
Both prisoners were chased for about 15 miles, wearing very little clothes, and the weather was just horribly cold. They ran to where they could cross the Ohio River, and that didn't help anything. Somehow, Otto's partner named James Borders, who was only 18 years old and had been sentenced to 18 years for second-degree murder, was caught 30 days later still in West Virginia, while Cool Hand Otto managed to make it all the way to North Carolina again. So I guess neither um, one of them figured that they'd make it across the Ohio in that kind of weather. Otto got to North Carolina during the height of the Spanish flu, and he actually helped folks, you know, who were down from it. Of course, at the same time, he started moonshining and bootlegging in the mountains of Wilkes County again. I guess that explains why he didn't catch the flu. He sold his Carolina cornbread for about $20 a gallon. It went off like a charm for about six months. Then, you guessed it, he got caught, arrested again, and placed in the Wilkes County Jail. And it just so happened to be the same jail that he spent five months in as a child for stealing a bicycle that he couldn't ride. While in custody of the Wilkes County authorities, they discovered that there was a bounty placed on his head in three different states. And when West Virginia offered the biggest bounty, they decided to just go ahead and sell him to West Virginia. Apparently by this time, his wife's auto wood meter was full up with his brain-damaged thought process because he now had a girlfriend who swore that she was going to help him escape. So she smuggled a gun into the jail and gave it to him. But at the same time, she told him not to dare use it, promising to go with him to West Virginia, and she did. She talked to a prison officer who was escorting Otto into letting her come along, and in exchange, she would make sure that Otto would behave. She asked Otto to give her back the gun, but he said, I believe I'll just keep it because maybe there's a be a chance for him to escape when the train got to Roanoke, Virginia. But before they did, they had a stop in Winston-Salem, where the guard promised that if Otto behaved, he wouldn't lock him up in the jail and to wait for the next train that they were supposed to catch, to, which was set to leave at 4.45 the next morning. That surprised Otto to the point where he just handed the gun over and didn't make any attempt to escape at all. What do you know about that? When they got to West Virginia, the guard contacted the director of prisons and uh, two decided to make a request to the state's governor to pardon Otto for the sentence that he was supposed to serve in West Virginia. Now, after all, you know, the only crime that he'd been caught for there was a case of car theft and the breach of promise. Now, if the governor agreed to it, Otto would be sent to Tennessee to serve the time he owed him there. And uh, what do you know? Otto got pardoned in West Virginia then was sent to Tennessee, but when he got there, he was told that he was going to serve every bit of the 36 months he owed them, and there wasn't going to be no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Apparently, they didn't like it when folks get away and run from them. Not to mention that the guards did their best to make Otto just about as miserable as humanly possible. After a while, Otto started getting letters from the girl that went with him to West Virginia, and he found out that she'd given birth to his child. It was uh, that bit of information that got the rabbit back in his blood. And you guessed it, out the door he went again. After yet another successful run, he realized that he didn't have a pot to piss in and no hope of buying one without a job which he could get without being caught. So he done what a whole bunch of us hillbillies in that type of situation through the ages have done. He went back to making moonshine and, just like before, bootlegged it right into Winston-Salem and sold it. 
when he'd made enough money, he and the woman and the baby went to Texas. Otto later said that that was the happiest time of his life, all 13 months of it. They traveled around, but they never stayed, you know, more than a week in a place because they was afraid that somebody's going to recognize Otto. Unfortunately for him, he and his girlfriend managed to capture three Mexican desperados wanted for murder and kidnapping and turned them over to the sheriff in El Paso because, well, he needed the bounty money. This meant that the local newspaper wrote about his heroic feat on the front page, complete with a great big picture of the hero Otto Wood. So before he could get a single penny of the bounty money, he'd been found out again, and all three of them had to run for it towards Arizona. Now, Otto was a puzzle to figure out. He, you know, while he was probably one of the most self-destructive human beings walking the face of the earth, he's still taking time out of the middle of a rundown to help other folks out, or at least try to. For example, you know, he, when they were on the way to Arizona, they saw a car tire laying in a ditch. So he stopped and brought it with him. He took it to the owner of an auto, auto workshop who just happened to have had a bunch of his tires stolen. Unfortunately for him, and or for Otto, the owner thought that Otto was the one that took it in the first place and called the sheriff. Eh, poor guy couldn't catch a break. That did it. Otto knew that things were going to get crazy again, so he decided to leave his girlfriend and the child and keep them out of harm's way. He filled a canteen full of water and headed right out into the middle of the desert, heading towards San Antonio with two Texas Rangers right behind him. He managed to pull off an ambush on them and took their water guns and even stole one of their horses. He warned them to treat the girl and the baby right or he'd come back when they least expected it and it wasn't going to be pretty. Instead of continuing on to San Antonio, he doubled back to see if the girl and the baby were okay. That's when his stolen horse ran off and went back to the barn where it was kept. The sheriff was promptly notified and he brought along five deputy sheriffs and two te- the two Texas Rangers, who wasn't about to let anything go, to go arrest Otto. Otto saw him coming, promptly stole a car and ran for it. And that turned out to be a full-blown car chase that finally ended up when Otto planted his car in a prairie dog hole. He then jumped out and ran off into the dark. He wandered around the desert for about three days before he found a ranch with a car parked out front. The car had a young couple in it doing what young couples did, and he interrupted the little interlude and forced them to drive to San Antonio where he was going to meet his girlfriend, who was about to give birth to their second child. But despite his warning, she had been detained by the rangers anyway. They really didn't have anything on her, so... She was released before giving birth and returned to her family in West Virginia. All while Otto, once again, went back to his mother's house in North Carolina. Now, about everything Otto's tried in his life so far has turned into a complete shit show, complete with a nine-foot grand, a ten-piece band, and a twelve-girl chorus line. To be able to support his girlfriend and the now two children, Otto had to raise money and raise money fast. So, once again, he turned to the old reliable. Now, that would be bootlegging and making moonshine. Before he could get that off the show, or that show off the ground, he had to have a car. So he went to Portsmouth, Ohio, and stole one. Again, the master man didn't plan out Jack squat, so it didn't go well. He lifted the car and got about an hour down the road before the police drug him out of it and took him to jail. 
He went to trial yet again and was sentenced to two years in Ohio prison. This time, he actually served out his sentence to the tune of 19 months before he was released on good behavior. By then, it was June of 1923, and he was 29 years old. He went to West Virginia because he wanted to see his girlfriend and two children, but she wasn't even there anymore. She had been living with her parents when he was locked up in the Hooshkow, but uh, she'd actually went to Winston-Salem back in North Carolina where she lived with one of Otto's older brothers and his family. So Otto headed to Winston-Salem not thinking that he was still wanted there to be with his little family. When he left, he took his girlfriend and youngest son back to West Virginia with him and then while his oldest son was left with his brother, probably because he knew what was coming and didn't want to live out of a suitcase. Otto promised his son that he would come back each month and see him, and he kept his promise, well, as long as he could. In October 1923, he came to visit his son, but now he was short of money, so he drove to Greensboro, where nobody knew him, to pawn a watch. Fourteen days later, he came back to get the watch, but the owner of the pawn shop said that he didn't have any records of any pawned watch, and Otto was welcome to get the hell out of his store and not come back. Now, Otto had seen the man register the loan and knew the man was lying. Otto left a few days earlier, he, I mean, but a few days later he came back, and that was in early November. This time he demanded his watch back and wasn't going to leave without it. The pawnbroker uh, well, he still denied receiving such a watch as a security for any loan and again ordered Otto out of the store. Otto didn't want to go without his watch, so the pawnbroker, named Kaplan, took a walking stick to Otto. Otto drew his gun and whacked the man across the snot box with it. That made the gun go off and the bullet grazed Mr. Kaplan's shoulder. Now Otto, being Otto and all, ran for it again. He carjacked a man named Devane before carjacking was even a thing. He asked at gunpoint, mind you, that Mr. Devane to drive him out of town. Three miles down the road, he ordered the man out of the car and took off with Mr. Devane's overcoat still in the car. And Otto found $100 in the coat and batted hell back to West Virginia, where he settled into the town of Bramble. Now, less than two weeks later, on November 11th, he was arrested again this time for the murder of a pawnbroker palm broker named A.W. Kaplan, which shocked him because he didn't know the man had died. He spent 60 days in the local county jail before being transferred back to Greensboro. To make sure he didn't run off this time, he was chained with double leg shackles, his hands were tied behind his back, and a rope was placed around his neck for the entire trip back. By the time the press was done with him, most people in town were positive he was guilty before the trial even went to court. Even though there had <clears throat> been two witnesses in the store who could confirm that Otto had struck Mr. Kaplan in self-defense, nobody bothered to call him in as witnesses. Lucky enough for Otto, the judge didn't believe that the murder was premeditated, and in his speech to the jury, recommended that they should find Otto guilty of either manslaughter or, in the worst case, second-degree murder. The jury chose second-degree murder, and the judge sentenced Otto to 30 years in prison to be served in the North Carolina Central Prison in Raleigh, where they executed people in the electric chair back then. 
before he was dragged to prison. <clears throat> he did get his watch back. Yeah, you got to wonder at this point just what kind of watch it was and if it was worth it. I couldn't find any more on that, but once at the prison, Otto was sick. Well, he was seen as a dangerous man, mostly due to the newspapers and the prison guards treated him with downright contempt. That caused Otto to threaten them that if they didn't stop, they might wind up in some unfortunate accident of some kind. Of course, Otto never carried out any of his threats. He decided to do what he was good at and started thinking about making another run. And just like always, a fellow prisoner named John Starnes wanted to go with him. It wasn't long before they managed to escape in the prison, in the prison doctor's car. To beat it all, they somehow got hold of a gun, and by threatening to use the gun, they forced a foreman of the prison's chair factory to drive them right out through the front gate. They drove to downtown Raleigh, the prison being outside of town back then. They then carjacked another car. This one belonged to a black man who thought they'd, he'd been kidnapped by the Klan. In order to get him to cooperate, they had to consistently threaten him with the gun. After a few miles, the car broke down, so they tied the poor man to a tree while they worked on getting it started. Once they did, they left the poor man there, who, who could easily be found from the road. Outside Durham, they left the car and jacked another one, forcing the driver to drive him to Winston-Salem. Otto wanted to pick up his girlfriend and kids and drove to Roanoke, Virginia. They actually managed to get out of town, and by sneaking around through Danville, they finally got to Roanoke, where John Starnes' home was. They'd barely gotten the house before a huge police force on motorcycles and cars rolled up. The two of them ran off toward the railroad tracks, but didn't get far before they were surrounded by police and the whole neighborhood of people. Needless to say, they were dragged back to North Carolina Central Prison. That escape caused Otto to lose any support that he had outside of prison. The ones who thought that he'd, you know, had a bum rap now could care less what happened to him, and that included his girlfriend. After again being dragged back to prison, Otto stayed put for 20 months, this time before he escaped again. This time he hid in a closed railway freight car filled with concrete pipes over the next past 20 months his new girlfriend had married somebody else and Otto was afraid the man would abuse his children because he was a drunkard when the train car left the prison Otto smashed through the car wall and got out he stayed in Raleigh long enough to hop a train for Selma Alabama but his run of luck you know turned bad like it always does and didn't get far that far because somewhere in well Wadesboro he literally bumped into two railroad detectives face to face. Of course, he managed to get away from them, but it upended everything that he'd planned. So he heads back to Winston-Salem, where he managed to see his children for a few minutes before uh, sliding out of, for West Virginia. And after laying low there for a few days, he went to Wilkes County, North Carolina, and on Christmas Day of 1925, Santa Claus, who just happened to be wearing a police uniform, came to Mooresville where he was hiding out and spending the holiday and dragged him back to Central State Prison. This time, while he was sitting in prison, he took part of 1926 to write down his autobiography. He wrote a warning to other folks in his shoes that it was better to endure hard times for a while and earn back your freedom than to do what he'd done and lose it all for more time than he's probably got left. 
He said it's not easy to evade the law these days, you know, as it was 20 years ago, because of the International Crime Bureau, which would become the FBI. It has offices in every state. He also said that the new methods of using fingerprints and photographs of prisoners made it almost impossible to stay on the lam. Now, I wonder what he would think about today's methods. But we all know that he didn't take his own advice uh, because on uh, November 22, 1926, he made another run. This time he managed to get all the way to his hidey hole somewhere in Midwest, most likely near Terre Haute, Indiana. From there, he fired off letters to newspapers in North Carolina telling them that he'd be glad to come back if they'd promised to treat him better. The governor wasn't in the mood to negotiate with him, though. Uh, to make money this time, Otto tried to rob a drug store in Terre Haute. The pharmacist promptly pulled out a gun and shot him smack in the chest. It just so happens that he had a big bag of coins in his vest pocket, and if not for that, he, the shot would have dropped him like a habit and killed him. Luckily, he was just slightly wounded. I guess Indiana figured that he'd had enough time pending back home to bother with charging him for another, with another crime, so he was just sent back to Raleigh. This time, he was thrown in a cell on death row with armed guards outside around the clock. After a little over two years of never leaving the cell and having his food shoved through the bars and cell door, he got sick with a serious lung disease that gave him a severe cough and his health started going downhill fast. When the new governor, Oliver Max Gardner, came in to the prison for a tour, he saw that Otto looked like he was walking death. So he ordered the prison management to move Otto back to the regular part of the prison and he got well again. And again, he proved to be a model prisoner. Then he was given responsibility of the prison shop where he sold sweets, cigarettes, and you know, that kind of stuff to inmates. Otto gave his word that he wouldn't try to escape as long as Mr. Gardner was governor. By now they thought to know, <laughs> by now they ought to know that he was about as trustworthy as a rope made out of sand. He made it six weeks, and on July 10th, 1930, he was running again. This time, nobody knew where in the heck he was for almost six months, and they never did figure out how he escaped. He was declared an outlaw, and a $275 bounty was put on his head. That's worth close to $5,000 in today's money. Now, next thing we know about Otto and his whereabouts is December 31st of 1930. On that day, he was running around Salisbury, North Carolina. Now, Police Chief Rankin had received a tip that Otto was in town. And, of course, he got two or three of them tips every week. Now, he still didn't take any chances. Just like all other time, he'd got a tip. He got together with Assistant Chief J.W. Kessler, and they figured that they'd poke around a little bit and see if they might sure enough find him there. Well, sure enough, this time... It didn't take long before they found him. About two o'clock in the afternoon, they saw what they thought was him walking down East Ennis Street, along with another male, unsub. Now, Chief Rankin stopped the police car and yelled at Otto, telling him that he should give it up now. Otto wasn't about to, uh, but he didn't run either. He told police Chief Rankin that uh, his name was Barker and asked the police chief what the hell he wanted. The police chief knew that Otto was missing his left hand, so he asked this Barker fella to show him his hands. That's when Otto knew that the jig was up. 
before Chief Rankin or the assistant chief could even think, Otto and his toady jumped in the back seat of the police car. Otto said, here's my hand, and whipped out his Colt 45 peacemaker and ordered the two police officers to drive them both out of town. The chief acted like he was fumbling with his car keys and rolled out of the car. Well, Otto did the same thing. That's when a gunfight comparable to the one at the OK Corral took place. Otto's partner couldn't shoot because Otto gave him a screwed up gun. It was jammed. There was a total of 11 shots fired. Otto fired four of them and the two police officers together fired seven. Otto ended up being the only one hit. He was hit in the leg and the face. They scooped him up and hauled him to the nearest hospital where just a few minutes after arriving, he died. The wound to his face wasn't fatal, but the one to his leg had severed an artery and he bled out before he could get there. His body was taken to a local funeral home where it was cleaned and made up before being sent to his mother, Amelia, who had moved to West Virginia while Otto was locked up. Since Otto Wood was a was famous in the area for all of his crazy escapes and petty crimes, as many as 20,000 people throw, flowed through the undertaker's shop to get a look at the hillbilly Houdini. It was said that he looked as young, as peaceful as ever, except for the undertaker couldn't completely hide the bullet hole in his cheek. Folks in the Appalachian Mountains will to this day tell anybody who'd listen that Otto Wood was a crack shot and could have took both officers out with a single shot each if he was really wanting to hurt anybody. It's said that he was just trying to scare him away long enough to run. But if you play stupid games, sooner or later you're going to win stupid prizes. I didn't mention the names of his wives and girlfriends because it's still unclear to this day who exactly he was married to or divorced from through the years. I did find a couple of names listed as his wives, but couldn't find out, you know, what order he married or divorced them in. Or they were Russia U. Hayes and Celia Bird. As far as his girlfriend, I couldn't find any names at all on any of them. Uh, Otto Wood was laid to rest in Mount Tabor Cemetery in Mercer County, West Virginia. That's a place where I happen to have some kinfolk buried, which is how I first heard of him from my grandfather. When Otto's mother died some 12 years later, he was laid to rest next to him, or she was laid to rest next to him. Again, this happened in the Appalachian Mountains, so there had to be a song written about it. My favorite recording of it was done by the great Doc Watson, and you can find it on YouTube if you'd like to hear it. It's called Otto Wood, the Bandit. Now, I hope you found something good out of our story today. If, if you have, it's another one you know that had to be told. Please rate and review the podcast, and don't forget to subscribe, please, or follow us on whatever media you're listening. Come join us on Facebook group, Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend Podcast, where we talk about everything Appalachian or whatever else you'd like to talk about. I'll be back real soon with another Appalachian murder mystery or legend, and I will see you then.